Okay, good evening, everybody. First off, a very special welcome back to Ruby. Nice to have you back with us. And a special thank you to Mark and Beth Firestone of Los Angeles, California, for sponsoring tonight's Sheer in honor of the community and uh, how much they benefit from participating in the Sheer online. So a very special thank you to the Firestone family. The topic this evening is the mother of invention. What is the mother of invention? Necessity. What is the one item in the Mishkan that we actually have somewhat of a detailed description as to how it was made? Generally, we read through Truma, Tetzava, and then we have Vayako Kapude explaining what needs to happen. That's Truma, Tetzava, and then Vayako Kapude is what actually took place. And it goes on to list all the many things that we made for the Mishkan. But where does it actually give us any indication as to how something was made. We have the menorah, but that's more HaKadosh Baruch Hu showing Moshe how it was supposed to look. But to, to delve into the people who were actually there, rolling up their sleeves, and, and doing the construction, and, and weaving, and embroidering, where do we have any real instructions of how to do something? So we find it by the creation of the ephod, the apron of the Kohen Gadol. It must have been absolutely gorgeous, right? Picturing the turquoise and the purple and the red and the gold all woven together. Pasuk tells us, Vayroku es pachayazov, that they hammered out sheets of gold, vekitzes pesilim, and then they cut very thin threads from this sheet of gold. To weave it together with the blue and the purple and the crimson wool. So it doesn't just say, like everything else, they were able to make threads out of gold and they wove that together with the wool but rather it tells us how exactly those threads of gold were made. So the Ramban is bothered by the question, why? Why do we have more information on this particular item of the Mishkan? The Ramban says, Lohosef b'chol melechas ha-kodesh lefaresh derech ha-umnes, eich every other example of the construction of the Mishkan or the creation of the Begadim, the Torah never tells us how it was made. Zulasi Bekan, here's the one exception. Why is this case different? Now there's an interesting discussion between Moshe and Bitzalel. And this is something we might be familiar with. It definitely needs a lot of analysis and exploration. We're not going to do it justice tonight. But the Gemara and Brachos explains that when Moshe told B'Tzalel to actually get to work, so the order in which he instructed B'Tzalel was to make the Kalim and then make the Mishkan. B'Tzalel says back to Moshe, if you don't mind me asking, 
Minhogu shel olam, generally the way it works in the world, is Adam bona bayis, v'acherkach machnes l'zocho kelim. You build a house, and then afterwards you bring in all of the kelim. Va'ata omer, aseli aron v'kelim mishkan. But you, Moshe, you're telling me to make the aron, the kelim, and then the mishkan. That seems backwards. So B'Tzalel said, and it takes a level of, of courage and confidence to even suggest this, B'Tzalel says, maybe Hashem said something a little bit different. Maybe a Kaddish Baruch Hu said, say Mishkan, Aaron, V'Kelim. In that order, make the Mishkan first, make the bias, and then you have the Kelim to enter into that secure place. Moshe's response was, Shema Bitzalkel Hayisa, the Yadata. Maybe you were in the shadow of Hashem, hence the name Bitzalel, and that's how you know. Meaning to say, Moshe was giving him a, a high five. Yes, you are 100% correct. Wow, you must have been standing there in the shadow of the infinite Boreolam. You got that right, you nailed that. <laughs> that was Moshe's response to Bitzalel. So there's a lot to address over here, but the one question I'd like to focus on in this discussion, <coughs> clearly something was ambiguous. And the presentation of how things should be made was not so clear. Why did a Kodesh Baruch allow for this to even take place? Just be very precise and very exact in, in the command of how to do it. Why even leave it up to a discussion between two great men? But why leave it unclear? And many of the Mepharshim explain that really Hashem said different things at different times in Parshish Truma and Parshish Vayakel, and that was part of the confusion. Just say what you want. This is the building of the Mishkan. We don't want to take any chances over here. Why was it unclear in the first place? So two questions I'd like to explore together. The first is the question of the Ramban. Why do we have exact details, how they were able to weave together the gold into the other material of the ephod? And why leave it up to Moshin B'Tzalel to arrive at this clarity together? Just tell them what you want. So the Ramban answers his question. Let's take a look here at the bottom of page one together. The Ramban says, The possibility, maybe what's going on over here is, The Torah wants to tell us this, this chiddish, this novelty, with the weaving of the gold together with the wool. When Kalal Yisrael first heard that they were given this tzivui to create beautiful begadim with wool woven together with a metal, so they had no clue how do you weave metal or gold together with wool? We've never seen that before. They never saw that in Mitzrayim, 
They would never shown a diagram of what the aphod should look like. And the whole notion of weaving metal together with wool was a, a chiddush. So therefore, it sounds like what the Ramban is saying, the Torah wanted to spell out this one particular step in the creation of the Mishkan, in the making of the Begadim, because it was a chiddush. They had to come up by themselves with a way to figure out how to incorporate gold into material. Now elaborating on what the Ramban is actually saying in his answer, Reb Simcha Brody, the great Shiva of Hebron, he adds a few lines here just to expand our understanding of what the Ramban is saying. Reb Simcha Brody writes that it's what the Ramban means to be telling us is that the Torah is machshiv, the Torah appreciates the chiddush that B'nai Yisrael had to come up with by themselves in this process. It was chaviva kokach b'ein Hashem, it was so beloved in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem needed to write this in the Torah itself. <clears throat> now you think about it, it explains with Simchas Yisrael Brody, there was so much Kabbalah going on in the creation of the Mishkan. Bitzala, the Gemara says, was a master of combining the different osios, the letters of Hashem's name, to create the most majestic different facets of, of the Kedusha and bringing the Shechina into the Olam Atachton. There were many amazing things happening in the Mishkan. But there's something special about this moment in time. Because here, Klal Yisrael, they had, they had a mission, they had an Acharias, they needed to come through with this particular Begid, and they had to figure out, how do we get it done? So what do you do when you need to do something, but you're not sure how to do it? You Google it. <laughs> but this is before Google, so what do you do? They had to be creative. <laughs> they had to dig deep, and that's why it was so chashiv be'ene Hashem, it needed to be recorded in the Torah forever. This could very well be the same reason that perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to be overly clear with the instructions. I want there to be a pilpul chaverim, I want there to be a discussion that through motion B'Tzalel things should be worked out and they arrive at the truth together. Because when it's coming from within, it's not superimposed, you're more part of that process you're more connected with the result. When there's some aspect of creativity involved, not that I'm making up my own halacha, I know what the halacha is, or I'm trying to figure it out how it applies, but when it takes me getting involved, then that process is more meaningful and it's more personal. I want to share with you an amazing introduction to the, the Pirish of the Grah, on the Sifra Ditzniyusa. The Vilna Gon has a commentary on one part of the Zohar, and the introduction was written by his famous Talmud Reb Chaim Velazhin. Listen to the story that Reb Chaim Velazhin tells about his great Rebbe. Listen to the number six in the bottom here. The Ola Al Kulam, after singing the praises of the Vilna Gon, he says, what I find to be the most inspiring 
is his amelus, his effort and diligence in Torah. And that he was able to accomplish so much and gain this, this almost magical idea, the breadth and depth of knowledge, because of his Mesiris Nefesh to Torah. You should know that This is the third line here. There was a desire to give to the Vilna Go knowledge without more effort to reveal to him the Rosin Vistarin El Yone El Yonin, the greatest secrets of the universe. All Yudei Magidim Mare the Rosin Vesare Hatora through Magidim. Magidim are angels. Kishamati mi piv This is Rukhain Balajan testifying that he heard this directly from the Vilna Gaon. I heard from his holy lips. Shepomim Rabos Heshkimu Lepischo Kamo Magidim Mina Shemayim. That there were many times where there were many Magidim that came to his door, so to speak. And they were requesting, they were begging the Vilna Gaon to be able to reveal some of these Rosen Deiraisa, some of these secrets of the universe. Below Shumamel, you don't have to work, you're working so hard. You're staying up for almost the entire day learning. We want to give you more. Velohito Osno Aleim Klal, but the Gra didn't turn his ear to them at all. One of the Magidim, one of these Malachim, they didn't give up. This was the mother-in-law angel. <laughs> she kept on knocking at the door. I know you're in there. <laughs> Nonetheless, Lohibit El Mareyu HaGadol, the Grod didn't even allow himself to look at the appearance of the Malach. V'anav Amrlo, and he said to the Malach, he just... Imagine the strength of character. Eni rotze shetia hasagosi betoroso yizborach shmo. I don't want my grasp of Torah to be ayadei shum emtsoi klal v'chlal. I don't want anybody in the way of me and the Kaddish Baruch Hu, even you, the great Magidim. I don't want you in the way. Rak enai nasoos lo yizborach shmo. I only look directly to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Whatever Hashem feels it appropriate to reveal to me through my effort, through my emelos, in that Torah I will rejoice. Anything that I'm not able to be zocha to through my emelos, then I won't have it. But I don't want to get it in a supernatural way. Chaim Velazhin goes on to say that based on this mindset, the Vilna Gaon also spoke about not giving too much credence to ideas or even Torah insights one gets when they're asleep. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but all of the chadushim that you have while sleeping, you have to just double check and make sure they're accurate. Before we get to the sleeping part, one other thing he mentioned to Chaim Balazhin <laughs> is he said, Chaim Balazhin writes here, Shisholach Rabbeinu Osi, that the Gros sent me to my younger brother, Hagodol Mimeni Bechol Mine Meitav, 
who was greater than me, the great brother of Chaim Belushin was of Shlomo Zalman, who was known as an Ilui, a brilliant, brilliant, very special person who died young. The Gross sent me to my brother to tell him, but Sivui Mishmo, as a command in the name of the Vilnagon, Shelo Yekabel Shum Malach If any of these Magidim were coming to me, if they come to you and they try to knock on your door, don't answer. But that's a pretty impressive compliment to receive from the Gra. If you really think I might have that problem, <laughs> thank you. Now why not? Now we do know who was the great personality that seemed to be okay having conversations with the Magid? The Beis Yosef. And we have a safer based on those conversations. Beis Yosef of Yosef Karo, a few hundred years before the Gra, he didn't have any problem. So what's the difference? Explains Rechaim Veloshin. Va'af ki maran ha-Beis Yosef ha-yolo Magid, that was 200 years ago. That was a different generation. This is the base Yosef, or Yosef Kara, who lived in the 1500s. Huh? Okay, but that was even hundreds of years before the base Yosef. So he says that was hundreds of years ago, when I guess the generation was more worthy of, of such an experience. And the second thing he says is incredible. And the Beis Yosef was living in Eretz Yisrael. So for him to have conversations with the Magid, living at the time in which he lived, and living in the place of Eretz Yisrael, Admas Kodesh, that's fine. But for us though, on our Madrega, living in Chutz Laaretz outside of Israel, we don't want it. We have to get. We have to get there through our own yegiya, through our own effort. Anything that comes to you while you're sleeping, and they say about the gra, is that his sons actually write that they would say my father would be so saturated in the learning that he was involved with, he would go to sleep with a question and wake up with an answer. But the gra said. Don't pay so much attention to those answers because they're not coming through your real diligence in learning. There was one Yantif, it was the first day of Pesach, writes Rechaim Belozhin, that the Talmidim of the Grah were sitting there with their great Rebbe. Usually, you don't picture the Vilna Gon as this exuberant, happy personality. But we know from many different sources that he was. He was Mole Simcha. And then Yontif especially writes with Chaim Velazhin that Darko Bekodesh Me'olam Hafloga Simchoso Vechedves Hashem Mo'ozo The level of just unbridled joy and, and rejoicing with Hashem that he would be Sos Vesomach Biyontif Every Yontif as is the mitzvah of the day to have simcha on the regal, there was something about this particular occasion where he didn't seem as, as uplifted as usual. So his Talmidim asked the question, what's going on? Rebbe doesn't seem as happy as, as he usually is on a yantif. He didn't want to respond. 
However, just like the Magid was doing to the Dolagon, the Talmidim, to their Rebbe, they kept on pushing. What's going on, Rebbe? So the Vilna Gaon, after a while, couldn't hold himself back, and he quoted the Gemara. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin that when a person is having daiga, they're having some level of anxiety or worry, speak to somebody. Share your mind with somebody else. And therefore, he said, I'll tell you the truth. Last night I had a Gilu'i Eliyahu. I had a revelation from Eliyahu Anavi. And he revealed to me the most beautiful, the, the, the most unbelievable chedushim. And when I woke up, I was so excited, automatically, before I did anything else, I started thinking about what he said and reviewing those chedushim in my head. But I realized that was before I said Berchas HaTorah. And then I lost those chedushim. And I feel so much harata that I didn't say Brehus HaTorah first. Technically speaking, there's actually a debate whether or not you have to say Brehus HaTorah before thinking and learning. We're going to get there in the Dirshim when we do Semen Mem Zayin. But the opinion of the Gra is that even before thinking and learning, you have to say Brehus HaTorah. So he's also l'shitoso. Anyway, time passed, and his Talmidim asked him, by any chance, did you ever get back those chedushim? And the girl said, Baruch Hashem, I was able to get them back. What's the lesson that we learn from this introduction to the Sifra Ditzniyusa? When Malachim knock on your door, wanting to teach you Torah, you tell them, go away. Right? We have so many shirim now sending away angels. Right? They're going to start taking it personally after a while. But what's the idea here? What's the concept? Torah is about one's personal connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Through my effort, through my own creativity, through my Mesiras Nefesh, the giving of myself for Torah, so then I'm able to connect with Hashem in a way that's so much more real, that's so much more meaningful, because it's personal. You could give me Minashamayim all of the knowledge, and it could be uplifting, and it could be, it could be wonderful, but it doesn't create the kinyin. It doesn't create that real acquisition. We're looking for kinyin, and kinyin only comes from, from the panemius, from, from coming from within. Now you might be hearing this and asking, that's wonderful for people like the Vilna Gaon, who could be learning for hours and have their own chedusha and Torah, or people who have uh, the ability to learn in depth for many hours a day. Maybe that's not my thing. Maybe that's not my reality. So I want to define, what does chiddush mean? Chiddush literally means something new. When we think about it in the context of Torah, the, the general connotation of Chiddush is that there's a, there's a question and I'm being able to think of an answer. There's a contradiction and I'm somehow able through my brilliance to, uh, to resolve the contradiction. That's not what a Chiddush is. It's not limited to that. The stipler, in one of his letters, 
He says, Chiddush Nikra, Kishin Nisbara Lecha Prote Hasugia, Masha Bidchila, Tois Vichashaft Acheris. The definition of a Chiddush is, when it comes to learning, if I had one idea of what was going on, but then through going over it again, I have more clarity and I realize that I made a mistake, or I just didn't really get what was happening in, in this particular line, but now I have a, a behirus, I have a clarity in that. That's called the Chiddush. Or even if I knew something before, but now I know it on a deeper level. Now I have a more sophisticated appreciation of this hashkafa, or the halacha, or the application of the Torah value. That's a Chiddush. So the idea of, of, of being machadesh something, creating a new idea in Torah, is not at all limited to those who are Talmidei Chachamim. It is for every single Jew on his or her level. But we all need Chiddush in life. What's the mother of innovation? It's necessity. What I find interesting about the discussion between Moshe and B'Tzalel when analyzing what was it about B'Tzalo that he was able to uncover the truth, to discover the real order of how things should proceed with first building the Mishkan and then the Kalim, what quality did he have? If you take a look here on page 5 from the Maral, the Ger he writes, L'fikach B'Tzalel asher mamuna al hamaisa. He had one quality, that he was appointed on the construction of the Mishkan. That was his area of responsibility. Because he was Mamonol Hamaisa, Ba Elov Hayadia Lasos Es HaMishkan Kodem. He was able to come up and discover the truth that the way this whole thing should unfold is doing the Mishkan and then the Kalim. And again, the Maral repeats this line. He was designated, he was given the job of the actual building of the Mishkan, therefore he was able to uncover the truth. The Maral doesn't say that he was better with, uh, with building than Moshe was. He, uh, he went to school, you know, in this particular area. It sounds like the only unique quality that B'Tzalel had is that he was given this job. He had the task. He had the responsibility. So necessity is the mother of invention. When we have that feeling of necessity, of urgency, I know this is what I need to be doing. I daven every single day of my life. I need to make it more meaningful. I am B'Tzalel in this context. This is my Chiyuv. If this is my obligation, so then I have to be able to dig deep and get creative and get personal to attach myself to the Yiddishkeit, to attach myself to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. When we feel that sense of responsibility, that opens up the gate to creativity. There's a piece from the Altar of Kelm. The Altar of Kelm, when he speaks about tefillah, we know that davening is referred to as one of the devarim ha'omdim barumo shalolam, one of the aspects of avodas Hashem that stand on the, the highest place in the world. 
The altar of Kelm explained that omdim is not just a description of what tefillah is, but it's also telling us what tefillah does for a person, or at least the potential that tefillah has, that it can uplift me, the mispalim. The power of davening is that it has within it the, the potential to uplift me. But how do you do that? How do you take something that could be theoretically dry and stale and routine? How do you bring it to a point where it's transformative? So the author of Kelm says, He says, look around the world, why do people eat? Ever think of that question, why do we eat? Right, well, we have to survive. One of the things that we need to survive. If someone's struggling with overeating, if theoretically they could take a pill where all food would lose its taste, would that be helpful? Probably. Probably. If food didn't have any taste, and there was no pleasure in the experience of eating, do you think more people would actually become ill and die of a lack of nutrition? Yes. Part of the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu infused flavor into food is because we need it and therefore Hashem wants us to want it. Otherwise we might not have enough of it. So says the altar of Kelm, the main thing that attracts us to anything in the world, if it's in the physical world, if it's the emotional plane, or if it's ruchnius, is when there's a flavor, there's a geschmack, there's a pleasure that attracts me towards it. And therefore the greatest the greatest piece of advice that I can give you, says the author of Kelm, is limtso tam betfila ubechol avodaso. Find the flavor in your davening and in every aspect of avodas Hashem. Find the flavor. Umamela, if there's a taste, if it's geschmack, if there's a pleasure, then it will uplift me, then it will transform me. Now, the greatest way of having a flavor in anything, he writes at the very bottom, Eino doma mishahu atzmo machadesh davar, lo'oso sheshama me'acher shechidesh. The difference between you coming up with something yourself versus hearing a nice idea from somebody else is massive. When it's coming from within, it's part of who I am. I was there going through the process of that creation and therefore the result is so much more personal. It connects me to that which I'm doing. If it's davening, if it's a bracha, if it's learning, if it's bedadam lechavero. When I hear an idea from somebody else and I don't really internalize it, it might sound nice, but it's not as much me. And therefore I don't have as much of the top. The flavor is not as strong. It's the difference when you have a, a well-known singer when he's singing his own song versus singing somebody else's song. If you pay close attention, 
there is definitely a distinction in how that particular melody is performed. When this is your nigud, this came from the kishkas, from the neshama, no matter how many times you've performed it, this is your song. This is you. There's a tam. It's not somebody else's. Says the altar of Kelm, the way we connect personally to any aspect of Yiddishkeit is to make sure we make it our own. We, we, we tap into those creative nuances within ourselves. Who am I and how could I bring more of me into this aspect of Avodah Hashem? And I want to conclude with this idea being very powerful for ourselves, but even more transformative in the world of Chinuch. When it comes to trying to inspire others, to educate children, students, the Eish Kodesh writes, in the Chobos HaTalmidim, that the, the more we can impart, the more we can give the message that your life, your Ruchnius, your education, it's really your responsibility. We're not here to force feed you. We're here to guide you and to direct you and be there to assist you in getting the proper framework and the hashkafa and the tools for how to learn and how to relate to the world around you.